2 Corinthians chapter 6. I have debated week after week as to, this has been on my heart for a long time, and I've debated as to whether or not to preach this. I realize that in our congregation we have people at different junctures of life, uh, different places in your life. There are uh, things that you are going through, and um, we have younger people, we have older people, we have single people, we have married people. Um, we, you know, we, we kind of have a range in this congregation. Some of this may or may not necessarily apply to your life at the moment. In some ways it will in every area of life. But there are times where I know that when we hear something and we begin to think that it's not for us, we check out. But the more we know of the Word of God, the more we can be of help to somebody else and to other people. I can remember as I was growing up, one of the things that my parents made very abundantly clear to me, uh, they didn't really... It, it did not matter to them so much what I did in life. But it did matter as to who I ended up with in life. That it would be somebody who would be walking with me in the Lord. Now, as I was growing up, there was that stage of my life where I was not walking with the Lord. And so to me, it didn't matter who I dated. It didn't matter who I was around. My friends were as worldly as the preacher's kid in town. We live in a, I grew up in a small town, so everybody knew everybody. Uh, everybody knew, and I didn't realize it at the time that my parents also knew when the preacher's kid was not serving the Lord as he should. I thought I could fool my parents. And in fact, I did my best to try, but they could see through that, that fog that I tried to throw up in front of them, that ruse that I put on, they could most definitely see through it. Uh, and no matter how far away I went from the Lord, one of the things that my parents always tried to teach me was, and it was very basic and it was very simple, Brent, it matters who you marry. And I used to think about that and think, wow, it, it really, I'm not sure about that because, you know, I'm doing my own thing, I'm going my own way. But, you know, when God gets a hold of your life, and this is not just a message about marriage, today I want to preach a message entitled, Look Before You Leap. Look Before You Leap. Obviously, this has nothing to do with faith. Faith has to do with leaping. And trusting in the Lord. This is not about faith in God. This is about faith in another human being that you will walk with through life. I know that many as they read this scripture will say, well that doesn't really say this. It's an amazing thing. And we're going to read this in a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to read from verses 14 through 18. But today it may be that you are in a position of affecting a life. Or I know there are young people here today at different points in your life 
I appreciate anybody who is over you and is a part of your life who is godly because they can help to thrust this home to your heart that you don't even think or entertain the idea of a relationship with somebody who does not serve Jesus Christ, who is not giving their all to Jesus. You say, but, you know, they go to church. Going to church does not change the situation. Going to church no more makes them a Christian than you going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger. It does not change the situation. Well, they say they love God, but there are things in their life that seem to prove otherwise. They make decisions. They do things. They say things in a manner that would sort of lead anybody to believe that they don't bear fruits of repentance. Let's read the Scripture, shall we? Starting at verse... 14. And I want to read down through the end of the chapter in verse 18. The Bible says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of God, the temple of the living God. God as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people." Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Paul the Apostle speaks very plainly, and in the context of the Corinthian life, and Corinth as a city, and the believers in Corinth of that time, the one thing that Paul was battling against in this church, and this was, this was one of those churches where I don't think any pastor would want to be the pastor. You know, but Paul was up for a challenge. Paul, this is now his second letter to them. In his first letter, they were allowing somebody who was living in gross sexual immorality to just kind of walk among them and live among them and as Christians. And they were calling the man brother. And finally, Paul says, you've got to discipline this guy. He is living in sin, and you're letting it go. And, and they heeded Paul's instruction. How we know that is we know that in the second letter of Corinthians, Paul says, okay, enough already. Forgive the man and welcome him back. He is repented. He is, he is a, a repentant person. Allow him back into your, uh, your assembly and don't push him away anymore. Forgiveness is a powerful, powerful thing in the body of Christ. It is the one thing in Christianity that sets us apart from many other religions. Forgiveness. But the other part of the battle was not only the carnality that they were a part of, 
in that sense within their church, but it was also in the city that they lived in. In the city, there was still idolatry that was going on. Now, we don't, we don't really have this like what they had back then, at least in this country. But there was idolatry, and he said, listen, you don't hook up and link up with those that are, are, are serving idols. He said, don't, you know, don't sit down at the meal and start just eating everything that you know that is, has been offered to idols. He said, don't be a part of this. And I think this is where Paul is beginning to link these believers and saying to them and letting them know that in their relationships that they have to be very careful that they are not hooking up with somebody who is, is a part of the life of an idolatrous person. Say, but pastor, that still doesn't apply to us. Where are you going with this? We don't have that kind of idolatry like what, what Corinth had, like what the world had at that time. We, we just don't have it in this country. But as I mentioned in a previous message, in this country, we are addicted to self. And when it all comes down to it, the greatest idol that this country now has is itself. It's number one. It's looking out for me. It's taking care of me. It's saying, I am the God in all of this. People are rejecting God left and right. They don't want to hear anything about who God is and where God is. And I want to tell you as a Christian, as a believer today, the Bible is very clear and it tells us a very important message. It gives us a word of caution not to be yoked together with unbelievers. This is the first thing that I want to point out is the word of caution. Paul says, and it's simple, don't be yoked. What does that mean, don't be yoked? Well, there are a number of things that come to mind, but Paul is taking a couple of different ideas from the Old Testament, one of which is, he says in the book of Leviticus, it's very clear that they were to not mate two different animals together. Then the second verse of Scripture was that when they needed a, a field plowed for their crops, he said uh, that God said to the people, don't yoke up, a, uh, a, an ox and a donkey together to plow a field. Now that sounds like a very simple idea, and it, it sounds very important, doesn't it? Because when you think about it, an ox will do one thing and a donkey will do another. We're more a little more familiar with donkeys probably, but donkeys are stubborn animals. And oxen will begin to drive and they'll begin to go and they're, they're heavy beasts, they are strong beasts, and they're made for plowing the field, at least in ancient times. And he says, don't put a donkey. God says, don't put a donkey next to an oxen and yoke them up together. They're going to try to go in two different directions. Do we get what God is trying to say to us now in the New Testament? It's very simple. It says, don't be yoked. That word actually in the Greek means, don't be mismated. In other words, don't hook up with somebody who is headed in another direction in life than what you are headed spiritually. If you cannot find somebody who can help you spiritually, don't just fall for anybody who just sort of meets the need of romance and love and all of those things. You wait, you pray, you say, God, you take care of me, you help me in my life, but 
don't allow the enemy to get in and say it does not matter anymore. This is the 21st century. Don't listen to what the Bible has to say. I want to tell you something. If you listen to the Word of God, you've got to know this. You've got to know that God will take care of you. That God will prove Himself to you. But the word of caution is very simple. It's very clear. Don't be mismated. Don't don't hook up with that individual who is going in another direction. Who is going in another place. Now what Paul is, is not saying in here is this. He is not saying, and we see this in different places in Scripture, Peter talks about it, and Paul also discusses it and talks about it as well. What it's not saying, it is not saying if they are together, if they are with one another, and one is an unbeliever, and one gets saved after they have been married, that they should then split apart. Paul and the Bible never anywhere hints to that idea. In fact, Peter points out to those who are unbelievers and those who are not, or to those who are believers with a believing person, that what they should do, or with an unbelieving person, they should stay with them, live a life honoring God and with the Lord, live a life that pleases God, and to to be an example of what it means to be a godly person. And that will help that individual come to a place of saving knowledge. I remember many years ago, and I've told this story of a couple of ladies in in our church as we were growing up, had unbelieving husbands. One of them was just so so cruel with with how it was that he uh, would handle, you know, his wife going to church. She never missed a service, by the way, never, ever missed a service. We had Sunday morning, we had Sunday night, we had Wednesday night. Uh, Any other special function there was, she was there. But as she would walk out the door, he would make fun of her. Ah, going to praise the Lord now, are you? You know, he'd just, he'd have some, some, something, some jab, something to say. And Joyce kept going. She kept going. She kept going. All those years later, I remember I was out of the house. I was grown. I knew her husband. I knew, uh, you know, how he was. He was always kind to me. Uh, But I, I just... You know, he was, he just was, when it came to her going to church, he was just so cantankerous. And all of a sudden, I I remember visiting. I was in Bible college. I think I had graduated. I was on staff at the school, and I went back home to visit. But my parents had told me, you're never going to believe this. I said, what? They said, Herbie gave his life to Jesus. I said, no, he didn't. Oh, yes, he did. And they said, and he didn't just give his heart to the Lord like, uh, let me do this. I'm getting old. I'm at the end of my life. Let me just sort of make sure I, you know, I got a, uh, I got a ticket on the J train, as Toby Mac says, that I'm headed to heaven. Let me just make sure. No, they, I, and I came home, and all of a sudden I see Herbie. And, you know, Herbie, is, he, kinda, he was one of these kind of hardened, you know, guys. He'd been through the war and World War II and just, you know, was, was one of these, these tough old guys. You know, worked hard all his life. And I don't know if he had had disability or something from the war, but, you know, he was just a tough, tough guy. And Herbie's out there in the pews, and he's got his hands raised. And he's praising the Lord, not, not, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. I mean, this man is, he's saved. 
And it was because one woman who was a believer had a husband who was an unbeliever and she kept going and was an example of what a godly woman was supposed to be until finally that old nut cracked under the weight and the pressure of the Holy Spirit and he gave his life to Jesus. What Paul is trying to do here in this passage though is to spare you years and years of having to end up in that kind of a situation only to pray and to pray and to hope and believe that somehow God is going to get through to your husband or your wife or whoever it might be. He is trying to spare you from that situation. Young person, listen to me. If you do not know that that individual is serving Jesus. Don't even begin to entertain a thought. They might be handsome. They might be beautiful. They might be the best looking person in this entire city. But do not let that be what rules you. Let it be that this person can be somebody that when we're down in the middle of our pain and our sorrow and in the midst of it all, they can lift me up with a prayer. They can encourage me with a word from Scripture. They can be somebody that can help me along the way. This caution is simple. Don't be mismated. If you love Jesus, if you, you are giving your life to Christ, then you make it your goal. If you have a desire to give yourself eventually one day to a young man or a young woman, please just know this. You make sure that that person is saved and knows Jesus Christ. That they are somebody that you are willing to walk with through thick and thin. Listen, I want to tell you something. Marriage is wonderful, but it's not the, the, the times of bliss. Oh, that's the first two or three years of marriage, right? Right? That's just, I mean, everybody's walking on air. Everybody, you know, they can do no wrong. Uh, you know, life is not like that, folks. I don't say that because, oh, it's just been tough. No, it's, it, life is tough, is it not? Life is tough. And when it hands it to two people, you've got to learn to, to, to deal with it together and to figure it out together. And, and God has, has blessed me and has helped me. I walk with somebody who knows the Lord, who loves the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you today, there is no greater thing than to be able to know that when you're in your toughest hour, I remember a few weeks ago before I had had, had this procedure done on my neck, I remember on a Sunday night, I'd preached that morning, God had helped me, I'd had, I, like I said, when I preach, I feel very little pain. And, but I got home that night, I was in tears, in tears. And you know what, brothers and sisters? I didn't know what to do. I didn't even have the strength to pray. I didn't have the strength. My wife sat down at the table next to me. She said, let's call mom and dad and let's pray with them. Let's help. Let's, let's get them to pray with us and let's pray. And, we, and the four of us right there on the, on the phone and at the table prayed together to pray to believe that God was going to step in and do something. You know, when life hands you those things, I want to tell you it's not good enough to come to the, to, to the table and find somebody who can't do anything for you, who isn't going to help you with anything. They don't have a word to say to you because they don't love the Lord. They don't, they don't find in Scripture that there is anything that is there that is going to help them. I want you to know today that God has done great things for His people. He will take care of you. But if you're not walking with some somebody who's going to help you, then I want to tell you today it will be rough. It will be rough. The word of caution is simple, but the word of caution is also strong. He says, 
these words in verse 14, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. He's not talking about having a friend who is an unbeliever. He's not talking about having co-workers who are unbelievers, even partners in business, things like that. He is talking about something that is so incredibly close, something that is so valuable that it is a relationship that you will always have throughout your life, no matter what the situation is, no matter what things are happening. And the Bible says here, this is not just an unbeliever that's in the world. These are people and individuals that we find in Scripture as in the context of the Corinthian church, in the context of what was happening in Corinth, that they were idol worshipers, that they were people who were going in the opposite of direction of what God was telling them to go. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that when it comes to that close relationship, that you've got to know that it is important for us as believers to come to a place where we recognize that we have got to be with those who will help us and those who will encourage us. That's why the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that we should no longer forsake the gathering together of the saints as some are in the custom of doing. We should no longer allow that to happen but instead we've got to come together and depend on one another and believe that God is going to use us for his glory together as a body of Christ the word of caution against the relationships with unbelievers is not to have a friend of the how in the world can you witness to somebody if you don't have an unbelieving friend it's talking about how are they affecting you do you know that in every place that Jesus went into, he ate with publicans and tax collectors, he ate with sinners, he ate with, with prostitutes, with those who had, had done some really bad things in life. He sat down at the table with them. But do you know that they were all impacted by him? He was not impacted by them. You've got to know that as you sit down with that unbelieving friend across the table, do not allow them to impact you. Don't allow their speech to become your speech, their actions to become your actions. The places that they will compromise to go to be the places that you will compromise to go. But instead, allow your life to be a light to those who are lost and those who are hurting. God has called you to be in the world, but not of the world. It is strong, that word of caution. But we also have a word of consecration. He starts in these verses of Scripture. In fact, let's, let's just take a look again at these, these verses of Scripture. Starting right there in verse 14, he begins with five rhetorical questions. In other words, the answer is assumed. You don't have to give an answer. But in every one of them, the answer is there's none. There's none, none. Let's read those five questions. Starting in verse 14, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, he says, For what, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Nothing. There's no, there is no common ground. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? We know that light, when light decides to have fellowship with darkness... It ain't dark no more. Light dispels the darkness. Light gets rid of that which is dark in the world. When the sun comes up, the night has to flee. The darkness has to go. 
Light is powerful, but what fellowship can there be between the two? You can't mix the two. What harmony, verse 15, is there between Christ and Belial? Now, the word Belial, spelled differently than our dear brother and sister Belial here in the church, by the way, you need to know, spelled differently. But the word, what comes from a Hebrew word that actually meant worthless. But somewhere along the way, it seems at least some some linguist scholars, historical linguist scholars, they believe that somewhere along the way in the, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it took on more of a personification form. That is, that it now no longer meant worthless, but it indicated the one who does wickedness. So this sort of took on that, that view that he's actually talking about Satan. But there is still that idea of worthlessness and wickedness together that is found in that word. But the question is, what agreement or what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Nothing. There is absolutely no harmony once whatsoever. One does not help another. Now, you know what harmony is? I like the word that is used here. But harmony is a beautiful word. And if I were really just going to go for it all, I'd have Caleb come to the piano and do it. But I'm not going to do that, Caleb. But harmony is wonderful. There is what's called a melody. I've had just a tiny amount of music to know this. But melody, the melody is just those bass notes of any song. Am I right so far? Melody is, you could play a melody with, you know, a couple of fingers. And, you, you know, you could hit those notes and you would know what the song is. But when you hear Caleb play, he's not just playing, you know, with one finger on one hand, one finger on the other, and just hitting the melody notes. He is hitting some other notes with the other part of his hand, his fingers on his hand, and the harmony is another note that contributes to the melody, and it makes it sound beautiful. You have a bass, you have a tenor, you have an alto, you have a soprano. They all sort of work together. They sing different parts of the same song. There are different notes that are hit, but they're working together. There is no harmony between Christ and wickedness or the enemy. There is nothing that will work together there, brothers and sisters. There is nothing, Paul says. They can't work together. What does a believer, verse 15, have in common with an unbeliever? We'll say, first thing, we're Bears fans. That's, in common. That's not what it's talking about. I'm, we're, remember, this is all spiritual. This is all, this is all based on what Christ has done for you. It has nothing to do with the world. You can, I, I know you, you Bears fans. You can hang with the best of them, and and you can talk. You can talk Bears with anybody you want. I can talk Bears and I can talk Steelers. I'm not talking Steelers now because they're 0 three. Um, hopefully after today in London, they'll be one and three. But nonetheless, nonetheless, and, and the Vikings will be 0 and four. But nonetheless, it's not talking about some of those things in life that we have in common with other people. It's talking about what we have in common spiritually with somebody else. Now, every now and then you get one of those well-meaning individuals who have bought into the lie of our 21st century that says, I believe that all roads lead to the same place. And I had to just 
calmly tell those individuals, no, they don't. I have nothing in common with that view. That is absolutely false and not true. All roads don't lead to the same place, spiritually speaking. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Again, the answer is there is no commonality, none. What agreement, verse 16, is there between the temple of God and idols? Now, he's bringing it to where the context of what Corinth was all about. It was a center of idolatry. The church, the Corinthian church, had great difficulty in overcoming their past life as idolaters and, and eliminating the, the possibility of a relationship with somebody who was an idolater. They had a hard time with that. Look, there are times you can talk to somebody about education. You can talk to somebody about this, that, the other thing in life. But there is a point where if they are an unbeliever and going their own way, you're, you're, the conversation ends. There's no, no getting around. It doesn't mean you're not a friend to them. It doesn't mean that you don't, you don't hang with them. You don't talk to them. It just simply means there's a point they cannot help you. And this is why it's so important when you talk about the kind of relationship that brings you into that closeness, a marriage relationship or, or even a dating relationship, that there is that, that kind of a, a, an understanding that this person, if they cannot help me spiritually, I have nothing in common. Nothing. And he says this, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols. Now he comes to the very important point of all of those five questions, and it is this For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. He's quoting from the Old Testament now. And I will be their God and they will be my people. I want you to know that as a believer, you are a place that God can dwell. That He desires to take up residence in your heart and in your life. He wants to live within your heart. This, brothers and sisters, is not a word of caution. This is a word of consecration. You need to know that you've got to remember what you are. You are the temple of the living God. That if you want to live for Jesus, that your life would be a place that He could dwell. And you're not going to allow anything into that temple that would mess up His desire to come and to live in you. You don't want to do anything that would mess up the idea that God wants to be a place where you can dwell and you can live. This is what it means to be consecrated to God. In other words, I am His. I am completely His. I want to live for Him. I want to do what is right before the Lord. Remember what you are. But I also believe that it will help us to remember whose we are. That we belong to Him. For we are the temple of who? The living God. As God said, I will live with them. Walk among them. I will be their God. And they 
will be my people. You don't belong to you. The Bible says that you were bought with a price. No longer are you your own. No longer do you have the say over your life. It is God who has the say over your life. Now I know that flies in the face with our modern you know, ideology and philosophy of the age. The age says, and the philosophy of the age says, I'm in charge of me. I don't, I don't take orders from anybody. I don't take orders from any person, but instead, I'm going to be the master of my own destiny. Ha! So there. What God says is, you're mine. Why don't you learn to take orders from me? I remember listening to Brother Jonathan, John Garlock. I made the mistake of calling him Jonathan Garlock one time, and he corrected my introduction so kindly and lovingly. He said, nobody has called me Jonathan since my mother many years ago. But anyway, Brother John Garlock, I remember listening to him preach one time, and he said, you know, some people want God to be in charge of their lives because he's the creator of the universe. That's a good thing. Some people want God to be in charge of their lives because... He has done some really great things for them, and that's all right. He said, but you know what? I want God to be in charge of my life because it's simple. He does a better job at it than I do. And that's the bottom line. God will do a better job at it than you will. You think you're controlling the situation. I want you to know that if you're a believer, you do not have the right. You don't have the privilege. You don't have that right because He has bought you with a price. You are His. You belong to Him. And I want you to know that God will never do anything to you and for you that will hurt you, that will harm you, that will bring you down. He will only do things to you and for you that are going to lift you up and encourage you and help you and help you to grow and help you to be what you ought to be. God is for you. He's not against you. Don't listen to the lie of the world that says God can't be in control of your life because there is no God or He doesn't care about you. I want you to know there is a God and He loves you. He sent His Son Jesus to this earth to die for you on the cross. He gave His all for you. And if He did that for you, there isn't anybody out in the world who can come alongside of you and say, oh, I'm the one you got to be with because look at me. Look how great I am. Look at what I've done. They ain't done nothing for you. They haven't done anything for you. It is Jesus who died on the cross for your sins. You love him and you serve him and he will take care of everything else in your life. You've got to remember whose you are. This is a word of consecration. This is a place where we come to God and we say, God, I am yours and you are mine. I'm going to live for you. I will serve you with the very best of my heart, with the very best of my life. I want you to know, listen to what the Bible says in verse 18. He says, I'll be a father to you. Some of you grew up without fathers. Some of you grew up without somebody in your life to affect you. For those of you who were in that situation, I want you to know that he will be a father to you. Say, I don't even know what that means. That's all right. You serve him and let him prove to you what it means to be a father. I'm so grateful for my, my father-in-law, for my wife's father he grew up without his father. His father was an alcoholic. He was a drunk. He was gone most of the time. And by the time my father-in-law was nine years old, his father had died. He grew up without a father. 
And some people would say, well, he's affected by that. I watched how he has been a father to his own children. And many of them, they're all grown now at this point. They're all adults. But, but even when they were, they were younger, I, I watched how it was that he was with Cindy as she was a teenager and in school. How it was that he has always been loving and been there for them and helping them. Don't tell me that God doesn't know how to teach you how to be even when the effect has not been there in your life. He teaches what it means to be a father. He says, I'll be a father to you and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God knows exactly what it is that you need. He knows how to be that and He is Almighty, so He knows how to provide it and how to take care of you. I can't say that I'm Almighty. If there is anything that my kids have seen this summer, it's how weak their Father is. But there is a God who is Almighty, who is all-powerful, who will always be there, who will always help you, and He will teach you what it means to be those things that are important in life. I want you to know today that the message is simple. For those who profess that they are believers, and that they are Christians, you need to look before you leap. Don't allow anybody to come alongside of you. I'm amazed at how many young people, well, I remember that was that silly once, but how many young people even look at some of their, their pop stars and their, you know, those people who are in in some kind of a, a, a setup, they're they're set up high. They're you know they they kind of idolize them. Oh, but they mention the name of God in their song. They must be believers, and yet you see how they live. You see the kind of life that they have. There isn't anything about them that says they're believers that they're Christian. See, the Bible says. And Jesus told his disciples this, that you will know them by their fruits. If they don't bear good fruit, you need to kick them to the curb. If they're not bearing good fruit, fruits, and what kind of fruit is that? Fruits of repentance. That is, that I was a sinner, I was walking in that direction, and I now turn around and walk toward Jesus, and I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to give Him my all and give Him my best. You say, Pastor, there isn't anybody around me who is doing that. Then you be the example. You be that one who stands their ground in the middle of it all. Don't you think for a minute that it was difficult for the three Hebrew boys to stand there, and they're the only three standing in that valley everybody's bowing and these three guys are saying what everybody bowing for i don't care what the king said this is what god says why is everybody doing this they stood their ground and guess what they were thrown into the fire oh i don't want to be thrown into the fire not physically for us spiritually for us i don't want to have that i don't want to worry about that i don't want to have to think about that god brought them through and you know what happened on the other side? The king sat there and said, I repent. He said, there is no God like their God. I want you to know that when you stand your ground, you have something powerful to stand on. You have a God who loves you, who says, I am yours and you are mine. I will take care of you. I will be with you. you listen, brothers and sisters, it's terribly important who you walk with in life. Whatever stage you are at in life, please know that it could be that you could help somebody with this. 
Or it could be that you're at the point where you need to make that decision for yourself. I encourage you in this place today to choose to serve Jesus. Choose to serve Jesus no matter what you do in life, no matter where you go. Let that be your first and foremost and most important pursuit of life. Let's pray together. I want everybody to stand right now. We're going to pray together.